As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast where we sometimes discuss Cole Castile and Chris Gerritsen. Joining me on today's show is... Mr. Brian Loans. Brian is the lead announcer at NHRA. Uh, he is an integral part of the Fox Sports broadcasts of the NHRA Mellow Yellow series. He's also a longtime editor, editor-in-chief at bangshift.com. He's got a, a broad perspective on our sport in general. And I wanted to have Brian on, well, f- for two reasons. Obviously, as you'll see or hear, in this interview, Brian is a thoughtful, articulate, just a really good listen, right, on, on any subject matter. Um, love having him on. The main reason that I wanted to have Brian on this particular show was in follow-up to NHRA's announcement on Monday that the Mellow Yellow series uh, events scheduled for June and July would be postponed and in some cases canceled, and also vaguely outlining an ambitious plan to get started in earnest in August. 
And if you'll remember, if you, if you listened to last week's episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast, um, Jed and I discussed uh, the possibility of an NHRA season uh, on the national event level. And I essentially said, unpopular opinion, uh, one that I hope is wrong, but I said, I just cannot uh, wrap my mind around a scenario in which we have traditional NHRA national events again in 2020. I wanted to have Brian on basically to tell me why I'm wrong, to provide a little bit of optimism for you and for me as to, okay, why is this August start date realistic? Um, from there, we, we discussed that in earnest. We discussed the potential implications, assuming that we do start a Mellow, Mellow Yellow Series in August. What does that mean for the NHRA Lucas Oil classes? Um, and then we transitioned into talking about some actual on-track racing a uh, couple of events that happened last weekend, our take on them. And then towards the end, if you want to stick around for that, Brian and I got a little bit of nerdy, a, lo a little bit nerdy just in terms of um, we're both avid readers. And so we, we had a little little book club segment at the end. Um, so you may enjoy that, you may not, but I think throughout um, you, will, you will be um, entertained and, uh, and enjoy this uh, fairly wide-ranging discussion with Brian Loans. It's time for The Big Interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Uh, joining us now here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, he is the lead announcer for the NHRA. He's an integral part of the Fox Sports broadcast. He's also the editor-in-chief at Bankshift.com, guy with a ton of interesting, broad-reaching perspective on our sport in general, Mr. Brian Loans. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, man. I feel like you oversold me a little bit there, but I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, now, the reason, the overarching reason that I wanted to have you on today was on last week's episode of the podcast, I, I basically said that I, I have a hard time envisioning a world in which there is a traditional NHRA national event in 2020. And I outlined the, the reasons behind that thought process, but I just, man, I feel like I'm a natural optimist, and that's not a an op, that's not a an optimistic statement. So, in an effort to provide some optimism, not only for our listeners, but to be completely honest for myself, I wanted you to come on and tell me why I'm wrong. Like, give the sure. argument for right. Before we get there, let's start with NHRA's Monday announcement just briefly, and I'll kind of I'll hit the high points and flip it over to you. Sure. Um, essentially. NHRA announced that national events that were originally scheduled or rescheduled for the months of June and July have been postponed and or in some cases canceled. The release did state that the NHRA's intention is to complete an 18 race national schedule in 2020, which would include the two events that have already been contested. So essentially, if you do the quick math, if that starts in August and were to end at the typical Pomona date or thereabouts, it's basically 16 races in 16 weeks, essentially back to back to back. Um, so I'll throw it to you to kind of clarify, maybe give a little bit of insight behind the statement and just, and maybe possibly some feedback as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the first thing is, 
you know, there was a story that came out on NBC Sports, uh, I guess, the previous the previous week, which got a lot of people thinking that, hey, we're they're gonna they're actually gonna run the Gator Nationals race in in June, and you know that 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 was that was a tough thing for me to sit there and read. And, you know, Jerry Bonkowski wrote the story. I respect Jerry. He's been a, a motorsports journalist for 20-something years. I, I think that, in my opinion, um, I, think he, I think he went from, like, step one to step ten and some quotes he got from Glenn. So having some insight, as I do, into what's going on at NHRA, I understood there was an announcement coming Monday. And when Glenn said we weren't going to race without the fans, you know, NHRA can't race without the fans. It's not a secret. It, it, the business model is a ticket driven business model. And, you know, the television package we have with Fox is infinitely better financially for the company than it was with ESPN for a multitude of reasons, but it still is not a sort of revenue center that the company can go, okay, you know what, we're going to run four or five races here and uh, we'll do it with empty grandstands. It just doesn't work that way so the pushback to august really what they're saying is august which would be you know the, the very last weekend in july uh first weekend in august is uh the the in my opinion probably the most optimistic way you can start with fans in the stands especially in a place like seattle now i think there are other places in the country that um you're going to see that as different but i don't think any tree does anybody any favors if they say listen uh, we're going to bounce this thing around to any state that will have us whenever we can get there. I think you do have to have some sort of a structure. So the announcement that was made on Monday, uh, well, it was pretty vague. And any logically thinking person, like you just did the math, saying the 16 weeks in a row, that's basically what it's going to be. And the order of those races in that mix is kind of the only thing that's left into question. Some stuff is leaked out on the internet, which I can tell you is not accurate. I can tell you for a point of fact, from what I know, that the stuff that's being widely circulated right now around the internet is not accurate in terms of the order of events. Some of the dates are mostly intact there, but the way things are shaped up in that are not accurate, just from what I can tell you without losing my job. Yeah, I, I wanted to breach that too and see if you could speak on it because I assume that there is some basis for that leak, but obviously it was not publicly, re publicly released from NHRA. So um, back to the, the Monday, you know, press release or statement in, a, in and of itself. Initially, I, I, when I first read it, I'll admit I was a bit disappointed, I guess, because I had had it in my mind kind of through the grapevine. I'd heard that, hey, this is going to, to have some more clarity. It's going to have some detail. And it didn't necessarily have that. So initially, it was a bit of a letdown. But honestly, when I thought about it, that makes a lot of sense because how much, I'll defend NHRA here, how much um, good does it do us to specifically outline a plan that's still three months in advance in such a fluid situation that it's almost certainly very likely to change in some respect, right? So it's almost like getting our hopes up to just revamp again. Is that fair? Or? Yeah, I think there's two, there's two facets. And, and honestly, it took, a, it took a secondary conversation for me to understand the second one because I, I was it's, – it's an amazing thing. Like someday when I'm able to write the book about my life which I, you know, when I'm 90, like this period of it is going to be super, it's going to be a really good chapter because stuff changes so frequently. But I will tell you this, um, I too was leading up to the announcement on Monday. I was under the impression it was going to be one thing. Um, and of course it was different than I had understood. So like you, um, I was, I was like, you know, I was kind of deflated because it's a, to me, it's human nature. Like it's a, it's a human nature thing. Even if it's three months down the road, it's a human nature thing to see 
specific dates and things because in our minds we we can latch on to those things and go okay we can have some we can have that piece of floating wood in the ocean to grab onto and bob around on so when you don't get that it's a downer so i was a little bit disappointed by that so i ended up making some phone calls and having some secondary conversations to clarify for myself and a couple of points got brought up that i wasn't considering the first was um let's take a track like sonoma they're going to lose their nascar race and that announcement, if it's not being made today, it's going to be made in the next couple of days. The series just isn't going to go there this year. So their phones are going to blow up when that happens. And they're operating with a skeletal staff. So this is just one example. Like every racetrack we basically run at is right now operating on a skeletal staff for the most part. So if we were to now compound their problem by saying, okay, not only are your NASCAR race fans going to be blowing you up trying to figure out what's going on, now we're going to send all your NHRA fans into a queue a phone system or whatever to try to get information that you can't provide it's a disaster and and we can go down the line with all the racetracks and how they're all mostly running on lean you know lean personnel and i can tell you that there were a couple tracks that openly asked to not be named not because they don't want the event but they were openly asked to not give a date out right now if that was going to change from their original one because they simply could not answer what they assumed the demand would be so one at one side of it that I had no consideration of that opened my eyes a little bit on that front. No, that's good. It's a really good point to say that because I, th- I think it's important right now to just try to consider all of the perspectives and how many different people and groups of people are affected by this. I actually thought um, Bobby Bennett and his staff at competition plus did a really have done a really good job throughout, but specifically in the last couple of weeks, I read a couple of columns on there. One was focused on, the insight from, um, it was actually the, the track managers at Sonoma and Seattle and kind of their take on it. And then um, another one was feedback from, uh, from Scott Gardner, who's now obviously with the, the Stringer Milliken team and I've, has a pretty wide depth of experience. And it was just interesting to get those takes, you know, from a, from a different perspective than my own, you know, and, and think, man, that this affects so many people in so many unique ways and everybody's struggling with it. Um, all right, so let's let's flip it back to the original point, the original premise. Give me the argument for this happening as it's laid out. Like, what is the the reason for optimism to think, okay, come August, we could actually get started in this direction? You know, I I think um, one of the reasons I guess I look at it slightly optimistically is just when I look around and I see, you know, it's it's so, it's so dependent on the, lo- on the individual location. But when I see things like what happened at Armour last weekend, when I understand what's happening in Indiana, that the, you know, the tracks in Indiana are going to start opening up and, you know, by July 4th, by all measure, we'll be able to kind of be running as normal. Um, Houston's been open up making some runs and or having some small events that they'll be expanding on. So to me, that's kind of the, uh, an indicator. Um, it's disappointing on, on, I guess, an emotional level to like not be able to jump out of the gate like NASCAR and those guys are doing. And I, I'm the NASCAR thing is interesting to me in the sense that they really are going to kind of set the pace as they do in American motorsport. Like that man, NASCAR is the biggest guy in the room. So the optimism continues for me if, and when their experiment succeeds and their experiment succeeding is largely dependent on the people in the TV truck, not getting sick. And it sounds bizarre to say that, but if they're able to do this and not have people that are working in very close quarters get sick, then that really opens a door for us to, to be okay. I think Um, we can't control what state governments do obviously, but in terms of being able to, to, to execute on the plan that's on paper, 
you know, we're going to be following the guidelines that, that NASCAR and some other people are developing in terms of, you know, safety on the broadcast. And it sounds so corny and lame to say that, but the reality is that's a factor. You know, if NASCAR goes out and runs, they're going to run what, seven races or something in 11 days at some point over the next couple of weeks, they're going to have some incredible, like they're going to do something fairly incredible here. And if halfway through this thing, half of the people in the TV truck have contracted the virus, I, I pray that doesn't happen because if it does, it's a, it's a bad look. Um, so my optimism comes in the fact that I think NASCAR has a plan. I think that they are going to execute on that plan and assuming that they do cleanly, there should be no barriers for us other than localized legal things that we can't control to get things going again. Sure. Yeah. And that's the, I guess the, the broad picture. I mean, there's a possibility. This, my take on this is that the next month is, basically a testing phase for everyone. So obviously if numbers spike or if the healthcare system were to get overwhelmed, that changes the entire game, you know, but that's completely out of our control. Specific to kind of the idea of following the NASCAR model, maybe for listeners that aren't inundated or, or know the, the, the proposed schedule for NASCAR, what is their kind of three-step plan? Because I know it's initially without fans, but when do they hope to ramp that back together? Or have they disclosed that? I, I, I don't know if they've specifically disclosed a date for when the fans will be allowed back in, but what they're doing is uh, running, you know, multiple events at a couple of racetracks to start with, and they're limiting the teams to bringing a maximum of 16 people. So they're going to run their races like the, the uh, initial couple at Darlington. It's going to be fascinating because there's no qualifying and there's no practice. They're going to push these cars off the truck and go onto the racetrack and run them. And I'm not a huge NASCAR fan. I enjoy following the business of motorsports and I enjoy watching what their business acumen and what their decision-making processes are. I don't really follow the racing week in and week out, but I will be watching to see this because when you don't have qualifying or you don't have practice, it's going to be really fun to watch. I mean, it's, it's, it's old school, man, push it off the trailer and race. So there's an element of that. I enjoy the reason my understanding is that, um, place like Sonoma will not be having a race on the NASCAR schedule this year is because of the fact they're doubling down a couple of these events at Darlington and I guess Charlotte, they have to pull the races away from other places. So they were going to remove a road course race, um, a mid size oval race, and then a short track race. And apparently Sonoma geographically being so far out West is kind of the odd man out there. Sure. Sure. And I think the one thing that I didn't necessarily give credence to in my argument last week, and you can riff on this as much as you'd like, like I made comparisons to say the NBA and the NFL, which is completely a different revenue model, obviously, right? But I think maybe where I didn't necessarily give it credence is because everything that we've heard from the NBA or the NFL is that when they get back to um, competition, it would be in a no fan model. And as you just discussed, that's not really an option for, yeah. for the NHRA. The advantage I think that a series like NHRA has is that rather than trying to work with 30 different teams in different localities that all need to abide by state governments, like in theory, you can have events in states that allow it, you know what I mean? And bring people into it. I, I'd assume that that's some of the thought process going into the new schedule. Yeah, it is. And um, what you're going to see is, you know, especially with, uh, you know, dates like obviously we know Sonoma has been postponed. When you see where things lay out when this new schedule actually comes to pass, you'll understand that there has been kind of a, a logic applied in this direction in it, meaning that if certain things can't happen in certain states, 
there is some ability to have maybe the closure of a season somewhere else, or maybe, maybe some things can happen. So you can, you know, you can still build a plan. If these two things can't happen, it doesn't derail the rest of the plan, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's been some definite thought given to being able to contain, if you will, or perhaps work around some areas where maybe, uh, you know, maybe there's troublesome stuff going on. And, you know, I, I, it's a crazy thing. You know, the old, um, the old saying, it's like the, uh, you know, the pioneers are the guys that got the arrow shot in their ass, you know? And it's like, I, I do honestly have a lot of sympathy for the guys that have been working on the schedule day in and day out for weeks. Cause it's a no win situation. You know, you, you can't win. Um, and I think when you look at an NBA or an NFL or an MLB or even the NHL, you know, if the NHL, Hey, if they stop playing hockey tomorrow for the season, the, my Boston Bruins are in the first or in best record in the league. So technically we'd win the Stanley cup, I guess. I'm not sure that's the way we want to win it, but, um, but, but you're right because those teams don't just travel with the, you know, from a baseball team, they don't just travel with the nine guys in the diamond. You have trainers, you know, you're, you're traveling hundreds of people at a time to all these different places. And at least with us, it's a fairly self-contained unit. Like each team is fairly self-contained in the sense of, I mean, if it's a fuel team, maybe it's a total of what, 20 guys, 12, 15, 20 guys, something like that. You're not dealing with just masses of, of the athletes, if you will, the performers being exposed to all this stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's the, the fascination for me is how it affects every aspect of life. You know, it affects how you travel to the races. It affects the fuel prices of getting to the races. It affects your ability to handling the tickets. You know, think about that. I mean, it goes all the way down. You have to plan on how you're going to hand somebody a time slip. You know, that's the level of insanity that goes into trying to plan this thing. And, you have to do everything you can to keep everybody safe. But as you well know, if there's one single break in the chain of any of that, it basically all flies out the window. It's, it's, it's wild. Yeah, no, it's such an overwhelming task when you think of it in, in whole. The, uh, the other interesting thing that I wanted to, to pull on a little bit, because I don't think as a racer, we tend not to, to think we think about our own little bubble, right? And maybe not necessarily see the, the, the broad picture, or the various perspectives of it. That's what I think is interesting in listening to some of the rumors, whatever validity there is to them related to like a, a, a mega sports entity, you know, such as the NFL or the NBA. So like the rumor that you keep hearing about the NBA is that they want to basically put their 30 teams into a bubble and, and finish their season in whether it's in Las Vegas or Orlando or a combination of the two with no fans. And even at that, the NBA seems very, very conscious about the, the social responsibility element of this, right? They're, they're, they're not going to move forward until they can test not only players, but basically everyone in the, in this bubble, so to speak, just to, to, even though there's no chance of spreading it outside of the bubble, still that, that, that social consciousness seems to be there. And when you expand that to include spectators as well, my assumption is that that responsibility elevates. And that's something that obviously a, a corporation like NHRA has to consider. I'm just wondering if through any of your insights, has testing been discussed? Like, is that a concern, a possibility? Is that on the table? I know, yes. And I know that, um, you know, the baseline of every discussion I have been involved in or listened to or contributed to, 
the actual bedrock baseline of all of it has been the safety aspect of it. And that doesn't just mean for uh, me or anybody I'm directly involved with. It means for the entirety of the event. And, you know, it's, it's lip service to say, Oh, everybody cares about safety, but I can, I can tell you that beyond it, it, it has superseded the financial end of many discussions. Okay. So the safety aspect of this has absolutely been the biggest thing that's been discussed. The, the companies that are involved in like Safety Clean, for example, NHRA has been working and developing a lot of plans with Safety Clean. Safety Clean will be a big part of what happens going forward. But, you know, there is going to be temperature taking. There is going to be stuff going on like that. And, you know, I don't have the, the plan laid out in front of me, but I can tell you that um, the majority of all the management conversations outside of the basic planning stuff has been the development of the health and safety plans for the spectators, for the racers, for the event workers, the officials, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. And it's, I think that, you know, the, the NBA thing is interesting to me in the, in the sense of when you actually, if, if you do that, right, if you take your league and you isolate the league and you, and you play it in this hermetically sealed, you know, bubble or whatever, what's the end game with that? You know, like to me, you know, does the, the league clearly exists as a business, right? Let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves on that, but it does send a kind of a weird message that it's just like, well, we need to finish the season. Well, why? You know, if there's nobody there to see it, why do you need to finish the season? Well, shoot, we got to get paid. Right. You know, and obviously it's a business. It's to me, it's not a business that would be mortally wounded if it didn't finish a single season, you know, and these like the MLB and, and NFL and, and NBA have endowments of, in the billion endowments, wrong word, but you know what I'm saying? They have bank accounts with billions of dollars in them. Um, we don't. <laughs> and I would ask the same question of us. If, if we were going to go racing for the entirety of a season without any fans in the stands, I would really question kind of why we were doing it. So the fact that the, the, the fact that the two baselines are how do we do this with people there and how do we do this with people there safely um, are two reasons why I feel like, you know, the NHRA approach, well, very conservative in some respects, I think is for us anyway, the right move. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. Just for the bulk of our listeners, and I don't expect you necessarily to have any answers or potentially even any insight on this, but um, I'll just run through a, a list of, uh, of, questions that have come up recently sure. as assuming that this the the national event proposition becomes reality and we get started racing in august what does it mean for the sports and racers and questions to the extent of is there a lucas oil series this season does assuming that all of those are connected right so 16 national events essentially in 16 weekends does nhra have the manpower the staffing to pull off running those events and a full complement of Lucas Oil Series races, ET finals events, basically simultaneously. Like that sounds like a, an obstacle, you know, obviously one that could be overcome, but it's certainly a logistical issue. Um, would there be national champions in the sportsman categories if we did pick up in August? And is it fair to, to do so just because I feel like there will inevitably be pockets of the country that are almost excluded or, or certainly very, very difficult to make events. Um, and if that was the case, would the event criteria be lessened, you know, instead of getting your best three out of six national events and five out of eight divisionals, would that be cut back in some regards? What are the grade points look like for 2021? Um, like I say, just a lot of questions coming in that are natural, but it just, I think it, 
just from our small bubble, like these are important to us. They're probably not that important in the grand scheme of things, but it just gives some idea as to what is on the plate of these decision makers and trying to connect all these dots. Yeah, I will say this. So in terms of the, um, you know, normal event operation questions, uh, Lucas Oil categories will be contested at every one of the events that get run in 2020, bar none end of story. That's a fact. Um, Friday will be Lucas Oil drag racing only at these events. Professional racing will be two qualifying sessions on Saturday and eliminations on Sunday. Lucas Oil Racing will be all day Friday, and then it will continue Saturday and Sunday through the weekend. So um, I don't know what the, you know, if it's going to be two rounds of qualifying and first round on Friday or what, but, but I can tell you that Fridays will be Lucas Oil category stuff all day long um, with, you know, thankfully, I guess, without any potential interruptions <laughs> for idiots on television or guys who are on the racetrack in the pro categories. Um, in terms of, you know, grade points, in terms of uh, scheduling and stuff like that, there will be a revised Lucas Oil schedule coming as there will be for, um, you know, all the other associated series. Uh, my understanding is there will be championships this year. Um, to, your other, to your other point about, you know, kind of do you put an asterisk next to it? I had a conversation with Matt Hartford today, and, and that came up. And he said, you know, uh, I will not be able to run 16 events in a row when this gets going. I won't be able to do that. So whoever does win the championship, I will respect them. He said, but I really hope they put an asterisk next to it in the book because, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are not going to have the opportunity to legitimately contest. And that's going to be maybe doubly so in the sportsman ranks. For instance, business owners that have been sidelined that need to really go like hell to catch up again, stuff like that. People are going to be hampered. Grade points and stuff like that. I have no solid information other than to tell you if you look at how other things are being dealt with in terms of chassis certifications, in terms of uh, different competition style of things, you can look, maybe we can take some tells from that and go, okay, they're moving dates on things. They're kind of shifting dates around and moving stuff like that. So it would stand to reason for me that there will be uh, accommodations and or um, adjustments made to some of that type of stuff because there's no way there can't be, you know, I, I don't logically think so. And again, I don't, this is not based in fact, this is only based in my opinion and, and kind of how I've seen other stuff dealt with. Um, I, I think this is the type of scenario where you need to, this is beyond the pale in terms of um, being able to sit still and just say, ah, we'll leave it as it is. You can't do that, at least for the short term. Um, bracket finals and concurrent events. Yeah, that is going to be a big one, and I don't have an answer to that. And that's probably the biggest question for a lot of people right now is how can you possibly do all this at once? And the real answer is you can't. So how do you try to do most of it at once, I guess, is the way that's going to play out. Yeah, no, I think that there's going to have to be some concessions all the way around if and when this comes to fruition. I do think there seems to be a little bit of a renewed sense of optimism around the, the Lucas Oil Series, you know, sportsman-only events. And I think that that's warranted just because that's not a spectator-driven model. Obviously, it's going to be on a, on a case-by-case state basis based on individual facilities and, and the governing laws of those individual states. But I do, it feels realistic to think that we could be back on track with that series relatively soon. Yeah, that's the that's definitely the sentiment I can tell you that from uh, internally and stuff. That's definitely the sentiment. And even some track operators I've talked to um, they are, you know, very confident that they're going to be able to get stuff at, at, off the ground with the Lucas Oil Series without having to deal with any of the other rigmarole that a, you know, Mellow Yellow style event has to deal with. All right. Um, 
I'll kind of I'll take over here a little bit, Brian, because I want to I want to discuss some things in, in bracket racing. And I know that you've got such a, a broad perspective, like I do want your input on it, but I've got some stuff I'm going to riff on as, as I go. So I don't I don't want to exclude you from the conversation by any means. When Jed and I recorded last week's episode of the podcast, there seemed to be a, a feeling, a sense of optimism within the, the bracket racing community. And it's amazing because that was a week ago and it feels like we've ebbed and flowed four times since then. It feels like a month ago, right? So, but the, the, the thought process at that time, almost not universally, but in most areas seem to be, hey, many parts of the country are quote unquote opening up May 1st. Uh, in in and that means opening up like racetracks are opening up we can go racing right and and a lot of tracks had events scheduled in most and i'll say most cases um because there are certainly some exceptions we'll get to those in most cases that optimism proved to be a bit premature right opening up takes on maybe different forms than we had anticipated a week ago a case in point uh alabama i know that a lot of tracks down there had events scheduled uh, really even for last weekend and on through May, because Alabama's opening up May 1st. Well, when the governor actually came in and, and announced what opening up looks like, yes, the, I believe they're opening restaurants, they're opening um, businesses, obviously, but the stipulation was still um, no gatherings of 10 or more people outside of work. So that basically shot all of that down in a hurry. Similar situation with, uh, with Dean Carnes' Little Banger event that was originally scheduled for Kill Care. Uh, Ohio was opening up. The thought process would be that we could make this happen. That became pretty apparent early in the week that it could not. So Disco actually came on and said, hey, we're going to move that race to Indiana and, you know, was in talks with local officials and government and, and strung it out a couple of days in hopes that they could make that happen. In the end, it was not able to happen last weekend. So you saw a lot of that across the country, you know, like that, that maybe premature optimism dashed at least a little bit um, or at least temporarily. Now, there were exceptions to that across the country. I think most notably for me, um, an event in at Brainerd Optimist Dragway, which is, I think of that as Chattanooga, but it's technically in Northwest Georgia. Yep. And then, um, and obviously you'd mentioned earlier in Ardmore, Oklahoma with the Windmill Nationals, both of those events went off. Both of those events were packed. Both of those events from the best that I can gather, obviously it was not there, looked and felt like events did in February, you know, or, or last season before, before we knew anything about COVID-19. Um, and I'll be honest, Brian, like, as I, as I step back from that, I'm a bit like conflicted about the success of both events. As on the one hand, it's awesome to see racing alive and well, right? And seemingly to a man, everyone that I have spoken with or that I've seen a post on social media who attended was actually at either of those events, had nothing but praise for the event itself, the staff, the promoters, how much fun it was. And you just sense this, this sense of gratitude, like, man, it is so great to get this back, you know, but to, to have racing back in our lives. And I think it gives the rest of us some optimism too, like, hey, racing still exists, right? And, 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 and maybe we'll all be able to get out and race soon. On the flip side, I think, and I'll speak for myself here, like most racers that, that weren't there, that weren't at one of those events, or, or any event for that matter last weekend, like, I think that we either feel, or maybe a combination of both, definitely there's some jealousy, like, hey, why can't I go do that, right? And then I also think, at least in some circles, there's some sense of, of detachment, right? Like, okay, like, that's not me, and I'm not sure that that's 
I'm not sure that I'm ready for that just yet, or I'm not sure that the, the country is ready for that. Right. And you just see, like you see photos and like the overhead shots and things like that. Like these places were crammed. Right. And to my understanding, like neither, both were completely within the local statutes and policies. Like they didn't do anything wrong. It's just kind of jarring to see it. And I guess my only like pushback on it would just be from an optic standpoint like almost similar to what was it you know a month six weeks ago where we're seeing pictures of the florida beaches right and the and the beaches are just crammed and everybody outside saying well what the hell are these guys doing you know what i mean we're locked up in our homes trying to take care of ourselves like these idiots what, what's going on here i think to us speaking us like as, as the sports and racing community there's a there's an element of hell yeah we're back baby like we're, we're back to racing but I'm afraid that to the non-racer that could easily come across as reckless, right? Like there are, and these are issues that, that a, a, a larger organization like NHRA has to consider, right? That's, that's what we talked about earlier. The local independent racetrack, perhaps not as much and, and maybe rightfully so, right? Like absolutely no judgment here on the, the promoters, either of those events, if put in the same situation, I may well have done the exact same thing. It's just interesting to take a step back and try to look at it from various perspectives because specifically within the racing community, like I've had this conversation with, with a few friends and racers over the last couple of days, I think it kind of further establishes or digs in some of that um, maverick mentality of the the bracket racing, specifically in the South. I know that it kind of runs rampant across different parts of the country, so I don't pigeonhole it. But there is, we've talked about it before on the podcast, where there are elements of the the bracket scene that are kind of like the wild wild west. You know, I mean, there's not a lot of safety consideration. There's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of rules in general are lax in in certain areas, and to those in that subculture, like not only did do, do they and, and we really to some extent accept that but embrace it you know, like hell yeah we don't need these rules we don't you know what I mean like this is how we're, we're, we're we can fend for ourselves but again to the outsider whether it's safety equipment related or this or or you know even rules violations in general the outsiders it just looks like ooh, that's a whole different deal like that and and can seem reckless so i guess i'm interested to hear your take if any but personally like is it great to see racing again yeah absolutely is this the best thing for the sport as a whole i don't know like i i think you i could see either sides of that argument yeah and and honestly we did uh we did see both sides of that argument over the weekend and i think anybody that anybody that takes this scene and not just the racing element but every element of this and just and just paints it as a one one dimensional black and white thing which is either we go or we stop is out to lunch i, I don't even, i can't even maintain a conversation with somebody that maintains that mentality because it's just not the way it works it, there's so many different elements of this whether we're talking about the economic the ethical the health-wise whatever but in terms of drag racing last weekend we saw a couple of things you mentioned the two big races that came off without a hitch but what about a tiny race that didn't come off without a hitch at edgewater dragway a guy named nick pluniak I've uh, known Nick for years, great kid, very talented builder, scrap for everything he's ever had, horrendously wrecked his race car, flaming wreckage, thankfully climbed out of it. Um, but the video went, you know, as, as old people say, went viral almost immediately of his car burst into flames. 
and the racetrack, which had violated county policy by holding this event, apparently letting too many people in and this and that, immediately got nailed by the authorities and has since now made it into the news. And now does that news story stay contained in Hamilton County, Ohio? Or does that news story now start to proliferate and now drag racers look like the spring break kids that we're all calling a bunch of morons that wouldn't leave the beach in Florida? And to your point, this is exactly the problem. And if Nick doesn't crash his car, uh, maybe nobody knows that thing happened. We all just kind of go about our business. And honestly, there was probably 50, 60 tracks around the country, 80 tracks around the country doing stuff that, that we never heard about last weekend. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I, I think obviously these, these businesses need to survive and they need to do what they need to do to survive. But um, I struggle with it as well. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a radio race at the end of May and uh, I'm in a couple of weeks going down to Orlando to do a, to do a basically a pay-per-view kind of radio versus the world thing that Donald Long's putting on. And I'm excited to go do it. And I've had one or two thoughts like, okay, like it, it feels okay. Cause it's a pay-per-view thing and the grandstands are going to be closed and there's going to be only a handful of us in there and maintain our distance. And I, I don't think that's reckless. I think I would feel it's reckless if he was going to pack the place full like he does with South Georgia. I think, man, I, this is, this is a little bit too much. So I guess the big question for me is like, when is it going to be okay? And it, and it was almost like to use a weird analogy, you know, it was almost that thing at like after nine 11, it was like, when was it okay to laugh? You know, they used to talk about that on Saturday night live. Like, is it okay for us to do this yet? Like, when do we know if it's okay or not? And this presents itself in, in, a, in a much different way. That was a, obviously a very emotional, uh, emotionally racked time. This is more of a, an actual physical threat, but like, it's kind of the same thing. You know, when is it okay? And is it only okay if, if a guy that's, that's in a state house says it's okay to do it? Or is it okay if I take my own personal responsibility and say, I'm willing to do this and I accept the risk of doing it? And that brings its own set of problems. Just because you accepted the risk doesn't mean the guy you're going to sit next to at Burger King yesterday or tomorrow accepts the risk that you may sneeze on his cheeseburger or something. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it spiderwebs out so far, but to me, I think in my opinion, um, the more tracks we see open up and the more tracks we see open up in a kind of controlled manner, the better. Um, when, you know, when we see larger racetracks, I know that um, Lucas oil in Indianapolis is going to start opening up for testing two nights pretty soon because the governor has allowed such things to happen and they have a bunch of plans in place of what they're going to do kind of protocol. I know NHRA has had phone calls with the member tracks to say, listen, everybody's going to be paying attention. Please don't screw this up for the rest of us type of thing. So I am on the one hand, very happy to hear about events like Ardmore and hear about events like Brainerd Optimus because it says to me like the beating heart of this sport is still alive and it's still pumping blood. And it's like, there's an element of we're going to be okay in this. Um, but then the, the stuff that happened at, um, at Edgewater makes me cringe because it's the, it's just the last thing in the world we need is to be that group when nobody else is doing anything. When you're the only person doing something, it's cool, but it also means you're the only person that's probably going to get in trouble for doing it as well. If you screw it up. True, and it just illustrates how fine a line it is, and oftentimes completely out of their control, right? As a, as a track owner, track manager, event promoter, regardless of intention, I think that there is a fine line between being viewed as a visionary leader yeah. <laughs> and as a greedy, reckless promoter. I mean, look at what Bill Bader's been through the last couple yeah. of weeks, you know, I mean, on a, on a broader scale. Um, it's like the, the greatest, the most frustrating thing about drag racing since its inception 
has been we never get the right attention, right? Like since since 1952 with Wally Parks, anytime we ever made it into the newspaper, it was because something bad happened or it was because something bad a hot rodder had done or whatever. He worked his whole life to change that. And, and, and with exceptions, we're doing a much better job than we have done. But at the end of the day, like we seem to always still be that sport <laughs> that like slips on the freaking banana peel when we can't afford to slip on the banana peel. And I just, this is a big peel that we do not need to be slipping on. Yeah, no, it is. It's a constant fight and perception, right? Yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. All right, Brian, let's switch gears just a little bit because I, I'm was excited to have you on, obviously, to get that insight. And, and, and I just, I really appreciate how honest and transparent you are in, in your thoughts and, and your ability to articulate them is awesome. Um, and I, I, I knew that you'd be really fun and, and entertaining to have on because I love listening to you on the PA. I love following you on Twitter. We actually, Jed and I did some crazy, like, best of maybe best of the decade, right? And you were on my nominees for best social media follow, right? Like I just, I, I enjoy the perspective, right? Because you're, you're a gearhead with, uh, but, but like a gearhead with a, a unique and intelligent, you know, perspective that I really appreciate. So I guess just in general, all of us, obviously our life has changed pretty significantly over the last two months, but I can tell just from keeping up with you that it's not like you're twiddling your thumbs. You're, you're staying very busy, right? But it's certainly, it's different. You're, for one, you're not spending three days a week, you know, looking out a window talking about races. Uh, you're, not, you're not flying across the country, crisscrossing the country. Like, what has the last two months looked like for you? Um, it's looked like, um, you know, a lot of time in this office doing different things, whether it's, you know, making stuff for Bang Shift or NHRA or, you know, NHRA pop podcast or that the new uh dorkomotive thing i'm doing um it's been you know playing a lot of catch in the front yard and hanging out and eating family dinners together which is you know not something we got to do a lot of before this whole thing started so um it's been you know trying to uh replan vacations my wife has been diligently um shuffling moving things around and uh erasing my schedule and rewriting it 80 billion times as <laughs> different things have happened um so yeah it's been it's been different it's you know it's funny to to even try to develop a routine. You know, I'm not ashamed to say it. Like the first five, six weeks of this thing, I'd look up at like three in the afternoon and gone, I haven't uh, taken a shower yet today. So, you know, it's like I, I built myself a nice routine so I can maintain my personal hygiene, you know, and not, and not smell like a pig pen around here. But um, it, it's been an adjustment like it is for anything. And then, and the adjustments had its, had its fun moments and had its not so fun moments, but it's like, it's, uh, it's been different. It's, I, I have been and continue to be really like proud of the people I work with with NHRA. Um, obviously, there was a furlough and there's a lot of people that are waiting to come back to work. There's a really kind of small core group of us that I'm thankful to be a part of that are still there doing stuff. And so those of us that are there, I think, have all like put our head down and are doing our very best to make sure that when everybody comes back, they come back to a you know a house that's been kept in order and trying to keep content rolling and stuff like that. So there are people that are doing actual real essential work in this world. And I'm not one of those people, but I'm giving my best effort to what I'm, what I'm trying to do. Yeah. No, thanks to those people that uh, allow us to do things like this and act like they're important, right? Right. hundred <laughs> percent. Yes. No doubt. What, uh, any, any hidden benefits or opportunities that maybe this time has presented to you that you, you just wouldn't have, have taken otherwise or wouldn't have had the time for otherwise. Um, you know, just time to do stuff. I mean, it's, I find myself uh, 
I, it's, it's weird. It's, I, I try to, you know, I don't know if I try to fill time. I try to, you know, I always try to keep myself maybe occupied and maybe that's something I'm struggling with trying to like figure out how to do less of, like, maybe I don't need to spend X amount of hours doing this. Maybe there's something more productive I can do, or, you know, it's just, it is, it's interesting, man. It's just, you, you, like any human being, you kind of meld into your way of life. And that was like, coming home, doing laundry, seeing everybody for a day or two, and then leaving, going, doing something else and coming home and doing laundry and leaving. So um, when it's not that, like, I, you know, it's funny. I don't, I don't, there are things I miss, obviously, like everybody else would like, the thing I miss is like Sunday morning. Like I miss waking up on Sunday morning, getting ready, like going in. It's, it's just the best. Like there's nothing that, you know, for me that feels like that. So for me, that's kind of what I've been, you know, missing the most, if you will. And then just hanging out with friends and, you know, being able to be in the presence of everybody. But, but the real thing for me is like that, you know, you've prepared for this all week. You've, you've set, you know, you've watched two days of a story get put together and now you get to tell everybody the story. And that's, that's kind of what I've been missing so far. Yeah. That's a, that's a cool way to put it. Um, I, I'd kind of revert back to, and you'd, mentioned this a little bit earlier in our, our, our initial maybe disappointment with the, the vaguity of the, the NHRA announcement on Monday. And I think we're such a culture of planners. Like we just, you, putting the, penciling that in on the calendar, it gives us direction and, and, and clarity. And when we don't have that, at least for me, I, I, guess, I, I feel like I'm very type A, but I, I feel rudderless, you know, directionless at times. And I, and I, I do. I, I'm similar to you in saying, like, I kind of struggle with this. The, 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 the 3 p.m., hey, I have not showered today. You know, that resonates, right? I, I get it. And it just seems like, you know, you don't have that overarching goal or that place to go. And I, I don't, I know we're not the only ones struggling with it, but it was, it was helpful to hear you say that. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, it, it's, it's like, it's just jarring, you know, because it's a sucker punch. I think, and, you know, it's to me, this is, it's not a retirement. I'm not, you know, 40 years old. I'm certainly not retired, but it's, it's almost like, you know, you look at people who have, who are able to plan their retirement and they're able to have a date where they say, thank you very much. I have worked my life and I am now going to have the rest of my life with no work. And then you have people that are older that maybe really enjoy what they do. And then one day the company closes and they say, Hey, uh, congratulations. You don't have to work anymore. And you're old enough where you don't have to do that. And that person hasn't planned for this. And then they are kind of like, what do I do now? What do I do next? And I feel like for me and you and a lot of other people, we're in that little miniature moment of that. Like, what exactly is this, you know? And I'm trying to be productive because that's, you know, I guess it, that's my coping mechanism, I guess, as you'd say, is my coping mechanism is to throw myself into, into work projects, like making these podcasts and stuff like that. So, um, I guess that's been my response. And, you know, I got this little small engine restoration thing I'm doing to try to get me, get myself out away from the desk and put my hands on something to keep occupied that way. Um, going for walks around the neighborhood with my wife, we've, my wife's got a walking trail. We've been cranking around every once in a while when I'm, when I'm getting stir crazy in here. So it's a, it's a different thing in some ways it's good. You know, in some ways it's, it's interesting and fun and in other ways it's just uh, it's just time to get back at it, you know? Bring me up to date on your engine rebuild project. I've been following along a little looking bit. Good, baby. It is looking good. I got, I got a, a new armature and some brushes coming in for the starter generator. And then we should be, uh, should be hearing 12 horsepower worth of fury happening, uh, happening this weekend. <laughs> 12 horsepower worth of fury for our, for our listeners that may be unindated. What exactly is it that you're rebuilding? 
an early 60s uh, 12 horsepower Tecumseh single cylinder engine. Outside of drag racing, my other favorite things in this in this mechanical world are uh, old tractors and uh, old tractors and, and stuff like that. So um, I was looking for something I happened. I was going to restore an old chainsaw. I found this really awesome old 1950s era Lombard chainsaw that I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And the guy sold it out from underneath me. So this engine was a kind of the second place runner in that in that prize. But it's been really fun. Like, you know, my sons have been messing around with it a little bit with me. And uh, it's just that's a good thing. Awesome. That sounds like fun. All right, I'll close on this and we'll probably admittedly alienate like 80% of our audience because we're, I, I feel like we've got this common nerdiness, but I know that you, that you are a reader. I am, I'm also a reader. So I'm just curious, maybe uh, what you're reading currently or maybe the best thing that you've read in 2020. Um, I would say uh, there's an author named A.J. Liebling, who was a newspaper reporter um, in the 1930s in Providence, Rhode Island, and he then um, became a, a writer for the, for the New Yorker. And Liebling was a, a war reporter in World War II and loved the country of France. He spent a lot of time in France as a kid, and then as he grew up, he always had this very deep connection to France. Anyway, uh, he also loved boxing and food. So Liebling wrote a series of books. Uh, he's the guy who actually named boxing the sweet science. He actually gave it the name, the sweet science. So um, I re have reread all of his books this year. I, I've, I actually work, I work some of his material into announcing races. I keep a running tab of, I have a long notes tab of when I'm reading books, stuff that just strikes me as brilliant. And I'll try to, you know, work it in or modify it to fit something I'm doing. But uh, AJ Liebling, you can read his, his food books are phenomenal. If you like to eat, which I like to eat, he writes about food in ways that no one else ever has before or since. Um, so yeah, between meals with AJ Liebling or the sweet science uh, with AJ Liebling, um, uh, those are two. If you if you like the English language and someone who knows how to use it very well, um, he's, he's your dude. Awesome. I'll have to check him out. I've actually, uh, it's funny, just, just your talk about English language jarred it for me. I've been reading a book. It's called Forged in, in Crisis. It's uh, the, the Power of Courageous Leadership in Turbulent okay. Times, the, uh, which is, it's questionable reading material in this time because one of the, one of the focuses is on, it's, it focuses on five different individuals, uh, but three of them are Abraham Lincoln. This is the Doris uh, Kearns Goodwin book, right? Uh, is it Doris Kearns Goodwin? No. Turbulent Times? Okay, sorry. Yeah. No, uh, Nancy Keene is the yeah. author. And, um, but it, so anyway, there's a lot of Civil War reference and there's a lot of Holocaust reference and you, it doesn't take much to draw parallels now so it can kind of freak you out, right? But what was, what I think stood out to me about it more than anything is you go back in time to these writings from the, the 1800s, whether, and not just from like President Lincoln, you know, from uh, one of the stories is uh, Ernest Shackleton who commanded a, a ship oh, yeah. going to uh, Antarctica. And so it was journal entries from his shipmates, you know, who are not highly educated people. And it's like, you would, ha I would read it and then reread it to make sure I understood the vocabulary was just so high. And it makes me realize how stupid we are as a, you know, as a, as a culture in this day and age, you know, that 200 years ago, because we always, we always tend to think like we just evolve and get smarter over time. I, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the case. I, I think you're right about that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I would get a fair amount of uh, a fair, fair amount of hate mail from people whenever I use a, you know, use a, maybe a, a 35 or 50 cent word on the shows, I'll get inevitably get some messages about, you know, what's wrong with you. No one knows what that means. Um, but one of the guys I know we both like is Ryan holiday. And I think I've, I've written, 
I'm rather I've read uh, basically everything he's written and uh, uh, just a brilliant guy. I think, you know, his philosophically, I definitely fall within that uh, stoicism type of uh, type of outlook and stuff. So a lot of the stuff he writes kind of falls directly in my wheelhouse there. And um, honestly, a lot of his stuff he wrote helped me a lot over, you know, this last year or so, because it, it hilarious as it is to say, like you hear from a lot of wacko people pretty much on a weekly basis with this job. And I, I knew I'd get a little bit of it and I, I just didn't know how much, you know, I was never uh, stupid enough to go in there thinking, Hey, <laughs> everybody's going to love me. <laughs> Everyone, you know, the kids, Hey, how, how much more can you take? Um, but yeah, it's, it's something. And, and it helped me a lot because at first I would kind of shoot back at some of these people. And then it's like, man, this kind of goes against everything I've like thought about, read about, thought of myself. And um, yeah, like, you know, his book, Stillness is the Key I, is one of my favorites. And that's, I think, one of his latest, but um, that, that his writings and, and the kind of that thought process has helped me a lot, just deal with some of the, and even some of this stuff too, you know, like when the, when it starts getting heavy with the current situation we're in, I feel like falling back on some of that helps, uh, helps to kind of mitigate my outlook somewhat. Yeah, I agree. I actually finished Stillness is the Key maybe last month. And uh, of his books, I feel like it's the the easiest read, you know yep. what I mean? It, but uh, but at the same time, very, very timely right now and, and impactful. So yeah, enjoyed it as well. I would say any, any, you know, certified dork that's listening still, the book, the book corner here, if you're interested in Ryan Holiday and you can agree or disagree, Luke, but I think Obstacle is the Way. If you're going to read one Ryan Holiday book and see if you like the guy or not, the Obstacle is the Way, to me, is the one that will, that will get you in or go, okay, maybe I don't really need to read this guy. Mm-hmm. Yep, the original. The OG. <laughs> Brian, man, thank you again for your time, taking time out of your day to, to share here with us. Really appreciate the insight. Appreciate the optimism. I needed it. Yeah, man. Um, thank so thank you for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, Luke. It's a blast. All right. See you, buddy. See you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on Race Day. Jed and I are proud to partner with Bill Taylor Enterprises. That's BTE here within the podcast. Neither of us, Jed or myself, are strangers to BTE products, services, or customer service. I've personally been using BTE transmissions and converters exclusively since 1998. Um, That's 20 years. BTE has quite literally powered every race, every championship, every round that I've won for my entire adult life. My point, they build products that I depend on. BTE builds products that Jed depends on. BTE builds products that you can depend on. Whether it's a complete top dragster or or top sportsman power glide transmission, a torque converter designed for your specific combination, or any transmission component or bolt-on item, the folks at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed in today's ultra-competitive world of sportsman drag racing. Shop online at BTE Racing. Dot com.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.